This is Kazuki Buishi. I'm on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, and thanks for listening. That must be a uniter. Oh, oh my dear uh, Lord. Hamilton's if another I, uniter. I, you yeah. know what? I love Hamilton, but I, if I have to listen to it in the car one more time, I think <laughs> I, I may have had enough of listening to the Hamilton soundtrack in the car. No offense, Lynn Emerson. Oh, the backlash has begun. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. No. It's not a backlash. It's fantastic. <laughs> Do we have to listen to it every time? Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, wherever you got us this week. That's where we are. This week, we're going to get into the podcast really quickly. We have geek world legends Paul and Storm and Jonathan Colton. They're comedy musicians who write music about geek culture, and they have an awesome cruise. We're going to get into it all. They have a cruise that goes out on the seas where you can hang out with other fans. And something we also didn't tell you about until right now is that Jamie... Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> we're bonus material in this episode. Jamie went to New York Comic Con and actually got to see them perform. I did. It was fun. It was, uh, yeah, it was that. It was not technically part of Comic Con. They just had a right. a, a show at this, during the same weekend. And uh, Paul and Storm opened up for Jonathan Colton, and I had never seen any of them live before. I'd been wanting to for a long time, just never had the opportunity. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the crowd was – they're the kind of performers that they, mm-hmm. you don't go to see them on a whim. Like, right. you kind of, like, you know who they are. Gotcha. You know their songs. So the crowd was super into it, and, like, they were singing along to a lot of the songs. They knew all the words. and That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was just a really, really friendly, warm atmosphere and um, just super awesome. And – uh the reason we're talking about this is because I, I recorded a couple songs of theirs. So um, the quali- I'm just going to tell you right now, the quality, it's from my phone, which is surprisingly <laughs> good for just recording on my phone. Um, but we're going to play, I don't know, are we playing one song? What are we playing here for them? We're going to play both of them. Do you have two songs? Um, actually, I recorded <laughs> three um it's up i i mean we can play all three or we can we have permission to play all of them i don't know if people want to hear them all but (laughs) you know what why don't we put one here on the end okay and we'll keep the other ones in our back pocket if there's there's demand if there's demand we'll release them we'll release them and we'll charge 99 cents per (laughs) (laughs) then we might get in trouble we're totally gonna bootleg this set But the song we're going to play is kind of fitting. It's all about fatherhood. So, all right, it's a good so we're going to tack that on at the end of the interview and bonus material. That's what we're all about here. So enjoy. We're going to play it for you right Not the song, but we're going to play the interview and then the song. 
Jonathan, Paul, Storm, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat. It's a pleasure to have you all here together. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to start, let's start by talking about the cruise a little bit. Um, you're all performers. You've all been to a lot of conventions. Um, and so I assume you've had a lot of interaction with your fans, both positive and maybe some not so positive. So I have to ask, why would you willingly trap yourselves on a boat with so many of your fans? <laughs> you know, we get that question a lot. I'm and, sure you do. Uh, <laughs> it does. It does. And, and, and it actually does occur to the uh, the uh, other performers that we invite on the cruise. Uh, and <laughs> you and can't I have to away. say, yeah, exactly. Why would you why would you trap yourselves in a place where you literally cannot get out of the building without drowning? And uh, the answer is. <laughs> That it is, uh, there's something about, first of all, it's a week long, right? So we're all there in this, in this place. We're, we're, we're on a cruise ship, which if you've never been on a cruise ship before, is like this uh, giant impossible floating hotel um, uh, with a ton of restaurants and bars and hangout areas and swimming pools and sometimes movie theaters and ice skating rinks and mm-hmm. um uh, so it's already so it's kind the, of surreal. It's already kind of surreal before you put any nerds on the boat at all. <laughs> That's right. But the thing that happens is that um, you know, and having had this experience at cons where you know I'm at a I'm at a table and I'm I'm signing things and people are waiting in line and everybody gets there, uh, you know, 35, 40 seconds uh, to have an interaction, to take a photo, to get a, a signature, and what happens is that everybody gets very nervous, uh, and it's it's a it's a weird. Uh, frequently kind of uncomfortable uh, interaction. But when we're on this ship for an entire week, um, people are kind of excited to see the famous people on the first day, but by day three, after they've seen the famous people a million times in the same uh, buffet restaurant, they're like, hey, and it's just, it, everybody relaxes because mm-hmm. it's not that pressure, there's not that time pressure, and it's, it, we end up having, I feel like, a much more meaningful bunch of interactions that way than we would at at a signing table at a convention. Yeah. I've thought of it, my, this is Paul speaking, I thought of it to myself that uh, the, the length of the trip and the nature of it, the, it sort of loses its transactional nature the way it often feels like at a, at a more compressed convention where it's like, I've waited in line, I'm doing my little exchange, I will get my 30 seconds to interact with you, you will give me your signature, and I will be on my merry way. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more, you know, people describe it almost as summer camp. Uh, in, in a lot, a lot of the attendees will describe it that way. It's got more just sort of a communal feel and less sort of a, you know, I am here to to extract my my little piece of your flesh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a little too vivid of a metaphor. But... <laughs> well, you didn't go full soul taking, so I think yeah. I think you're in the clear. I, I'm, I'm here to get my little trinket or memento or otherwise, you know, my, my, my little thing that marks that we stood in the same place and, and breathed the same air for 40 seconds. Exactly. Right. And you can it doesn't have it. to be flesh. I would love if I got a piece of your flesh, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much personal, I mean, for, for like a fan who would go on the cruise, how much personal interaction really is there with whomever that, you know, that they're obsessed with, whether it's an artist, a musician or a writer or whoever? Well, it can vary widely uh, because, as has been said, it is across the whole week, mm-hmm. and we try to have enough enough of the artists and writers and performers aboard so that 
you will. You'll just run into folks. And part of it depends. Like if you've come onto the ship to see that one incredibly famous person, you know, no, you're not going to have dinner with them every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if what you're interested in is to be in this atmosphere and, yeah, to have chances to interact with them, um, it happens. It happens all week long. As as we've described it in our FAQ, uh, it's not like, you know, nerd fantasy camp where you're not, you know, guaranteed to share a lifeboat with famous person X or you will round rob and have dinner with all the famous people necessarily. But it is, as we say, this sort of more communal atmosphere where and we try and foster it with both the participants and the guests where everybody is aware, you know, you're all in the same boat, literally. Uh, and and you should you should approach it as this more communal event of, of yeah. you know everybody just sort of hanging out. Yeah. And some of, and some of the performers do events uh, that are we we like to call office hours where they'll have just kind of an informal uh, yes. gathering somewhere. Sometimes sometimes in a hot tub and they'll say you know it's just sort of be a last minute scheduled thing. And uh, you know John Hodgman is going to be in the hot tub uh, at three p.m. tomorrow. Come on by and hang out. Um, That's so weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> it is really weird. It is really weird, but it's very fun because it's like you get to you get to uh you know, as Paul said, it's not this transactional thing. It's yeah. an actual it's actual uh, hangout time. It really changes changes it for the for the attendees as well as for the for, for the performers because they get to be in an environment where they know they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be uh, spotted and mobbed. Yeah. Cuz everybody's chill. People. It's really nice. And people who come year after year, part of the attraction for them is they know they're, they're going to get to see and meet people that maybe they didn't know about before, uh, right. but that will fit into this vibe. And we very intentionally from the start, it is a convention in the sense that there are a lot of different things to do. You have music and comedy and panels and science, all these things. But it's not in the sense of sort of these manufactured experiences, waiting in line for an autograph, that sort of thing. So that speaks to what Paul was saying about it being more the summer camp vibe. Right, right. Do like, you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Jim. No, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, do, like any successful show, the cruise keeps getting bigger every year. Do you think there could get to a point where it could be too big? Armada. We're going for Armada. <laughs> Six ships and uh, year round. <laughs> well, part of, what, part of what's different about this year is that we, we did sort of outgrow. Uh, just being a, a group on board a, a, a larger uh, cruise ship, and we, this year we have our own ship. Uh, so it's a, it's a smaller ship than the one we've been on before, but we we have it all to ourselves, which is uh, uh, even crazier yeah, than it was. <laughs> it is right. I mean, what what you know? Who knew that you could just you could just uh, rent yeah. a cruise ship for a week? But you can. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're, we're excited about the possibilities. Uh, uh, you know, we always, we always uh, uh, interacted uh, with and, and shared resources with, very gracefully, the people who were, who were just there to have a regular cruise and not dress up in, in uh, Star Trek uniforms and stuff. But uh, we, uh, I don't know, we're kind of excited about the possibilities of, of having this whole playpen all to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much not, not growth for growth's sake, uh, but that it opens up so many opportunities for us to be able to change the event up. And that's the nice thing is that we don't have to grow indefinitely, uh, that when you have the full ship, there's so many tools at our disposal for making it different year to year. I mean, who knows? Maybe it would get to the point where we might do one 
on the opposite end of the calendar, that sort of thing. But I feel like there's definitely an upper limit to the number of people that you could have before it would start to feel, you know, overwhelming or impersonal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say that the cruise is like, it doesn't sound like it, it, it might lend itself to be very kid or family friendly, but is it, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a, it, we have it, a good number of passengers who do bring children. Uh, while it is not kid-oriented per se, there is certainly plenty of family-friendly events and activities. Uh, and we're trying to, this year, program, you know, consciously program some, some child-oriented activities. It's, we don't have a, there's not a ridiculously high percentage of families coming on the ship. Uh, so it's not like a Disney cruise ship where there's constant, you know, right. we're not going to have people, you know, people dressed up as Jonathan in Jonathan Colton costumes doing parades <laughs> down the center of the ship or anything. I don't know. Now that, now that you mention it, <laughs> sounds like idea. a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John, Jonathan will dress up in a Jonathan Colton costume. So he'll be able to wander <laughs> plus, around freely. Plus Jonathan. Uh, uh, but we do, you know, we do try and, uh, you know, it, as I say, it's, it's not, we don't discourage people bringing their, their children by any stretch. And it is. Uh, you know, it is a vacation as much as it is this event. It's a week-long, you know, cruise. Mm-hmm. So when we try and always maintain the vacation aspect of it as well, so that it's not all, you know, constantly programmed stem to stern, that you have time to do things like relax and go on shore and go snorkeling or right. uh, whale watching or whatever might happen. Um, so, so we try and foster that. And there's, you know, we, we have this, you know, the 24-hour, and previously it's been a 24-hour gaming room. Now we have a whole ship on which people will be able to game, uh, do tabletop gaming and such at all times, uh, and that's there's a lot of uh, a lot of people of all ages participating in that in that in any moment. One of my favorite things to do on the cruise is to occasionally pop down to the game room and just see this incredible mix of people uh, of all ages and different backgrounds just sitting down and playing games together and having a great time. I mean, it's it's just heartwarming to see. Yeah. There is also a dedicated kids area uh, that is staffed uh, by the cruise line. So for younger kids in particular, who maybe they're a little young to really be able to appreciate concerts, there's a place where they can go and have a great time, and we're going to be looking at working with them to make it a customized experience too. So it's definitely something that you know, if you wanted to bring the whole family, uh, I think uh, have to be at least six months of age, they won't allow... Uh, Sorry, sorry, five-month-old, no go. Sorry, baby. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what? If you have a five-month-old, you're not having fun wherever you go. So. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Taken care of. Um, I wanted to, as long as I've got the three of you here, I want to, you know, talk about a few other things as well. Um, I'm not sure how old all of your kids are, but I'm curious, you know, as, as children of musicians, what music they're listening to now and whether your tastes overlap at all. <laughs> uh, my daughter is 11. My son is eight. Uh, and I have to say, I, I already very keenly feel the generational divide yeah. that every, <laughs> every parent. I was wondering if that was going to affect you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't even know. I don't even, <laughs> this is very off brand, but I literally do not understand the technology they use to find their music. Like, I don't know <laughs> what platforms they're listening to. My daughter is on, like, Musical.ly, which is this thing where you make these weird little videos that have a whole aesthetic that I don't understand or appreciate. Um, and I feel like, I feel like they, are, they are getting um, 
they're getting uh, various aspects of, of pop music sort of like pumped directly into their brains from robots in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how it happens. And That's so exactly my, you know, my daughter will. <laughs> well, that may be precisely it. Maybe I do understand it. <laughs> but my daughter will, will suddenly know all the words to this song by this artist that I've never heard of before. And she's, you know, she's super into uh, really shiny uh, kinds of pop music, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I don't, I don't listen to except for the ones that I have to listen to because of her. And um, uh, <laughs> even though it's not my favorite kind of music, I have, I actually have great appreciation for the craft of it. Yeah. And there, there are a couple of those tunes that I'm like, well, this is actually a pretty banging tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have two daughters, 19 and 15. My younger daughter is the reason I am remotely still familiar with what's popular, what, what popular music is these days because she controls the uh, radio whenever she's in the car. Mm-hmm. Seems to have been a default <laughs> state, uh, a very stereotypical default state she's fallen into. Uh, my older daughter is in college, so she tends to listen to more sort of ethereal, whispery, Sufjan Stevens-y, uh, indie, folky, poppy stuff. Nice. Um, which I guess every you know every generation has their version of that. I suppose. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to listen to rambling ethereal songs that are eight minutes long when you're in college. Uh, <laughs> it's a rite of passage. It really is. Yeah, yeah. but that said, we also uh, you know my uh, especially my older daughter uh, and, and I tend to share a lot of the same music sensibilities as far as what we want to listen to in the car, and we all. Uh, it, it is a family pastime. It was, it was truthfully, I said to my wife before we had ch- children, the one thing I wanted more than anything else was a family that would enjoy singing along to the Jesus Christ Superstar original concept <laughs> album at full voice whenever we're driving in the car, not at all times, but regularly. And luckily that has come true. Uh, we still to this day, it's a, it's just a family thing. And so I feel like I've succeeded as a parent. Excellent. Hamilton, good. that must be a uniter. Oh, oh my dear uh, Lord. Hamilton's if another I, United. I, you yeah. know what? I love Hamilton, but I, if I have to listen to it in the car one more time, I think <laughs> I, I may have had enough of listening to the Hamilton soundtrack in the car. No offense, Lynn Memo. Oh, the backlash has begun. Yeah, thanks, no. It's not a backlash. It's fantastic. <laughs> Do we have to listen to it every time? Absolutely. My daughter is seven, and yeah, the, they are. She, she and her brother are obsessed with it. We went. We were in the car yesterday. We drove to a comic con, and uh, she was in the back seat. She sang to every single song. She can sing them yeah. all at seven. She's, no. she's, she's it's upset. Really amazing, it's an amazing like work of art to be able to span ages like mm-hmm. that. I don't know what it is other than the fact that it's incredibly smart and incredibly catchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's utterly remarkable to me how the, the cross generational and cross cultural appeal that Hamilton has. It's, yeah. It's, also it's, it's about singular. Alexander Hamilton is the other thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No reason that should work. him forever and ever. <laughs> How could you go wrong with such a story? Um, I, I wanted to, the three of you, I, I think it's safe to say that your particular brands of music were considered a bit, I guess, unconventional, especially when you first started out and what you were singing about and, you know, the, the topics that you would talk, you would sing about. When you first devoted yourselves to music full time, how many like how many naysayers were there around you who thought that you were just too niche or that you you had to be more mainstream? Well, we um, never. This, oh, go ahead, Jonathan. No, I was going to say it. 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 Um, I mean, I feel like I was the biggest naysayer yeah. uh, as far as that goes. 
I mean, it was always pretty clear to me that I was not, I was not meant for, I was not meant for mass appeal. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, it wasn't, it, you know, I, that's really the thing that kept me out of the music business is feeling like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not writing pop music. I'm not writing the things that get played on the radio. So like, I'm not going to get played on the radio. So how am I ever going to make it work? And it really wasn't until, you know, I started to the, when the internet started to change and there were MP3s and podcasts and, um, all kinds of self, these sort of blossoming of self-publishing, um, of, of various uh, media that I started to feel like, Oh, this is, this is how a niche can work. Like this, for the first time, a niche could really be, uh, a sta- a sustainable enterprise. So it wasn't like I, I was shopping around to record labels and they were like, you'll never make it kid because <laughs> I never, I never took the time to go around to them. Cause I, I felt like what chance do I have? You know? Right. right. Yeah. Same really for us. This is storm of Paul and storm and formerly of Da Vinci's notebook. It had never been, a plan to even be a professional musician. And it was just because we were doing something, I guess, interesting enough to enough people to, to cobble together a niche audience that it worked at all. But fortunately that's the thing you can do. Yeah. It really, yeah. It, what's interesting to me is that all of you come from, uh, I guess, technical backgrounds, you know, you, and, and you've, you moved away from those and you dedicated yourselves to, to music and to art. Um, and there's something that I've, I mean, I have, my kids are five and seven. And so there's something, one of the things that I have noticed and I've been thinking about a lot lately is our push as a society towards STEM. Um, and obviously I understand where it's coming from and I'm not arguing the importance of STEM disciplines, but I, I, I'm worried that this emphasis on STEM is being done to the detriment of the arts and humanities. And because of your backgrounds and because of the direction that you all consciously chose to take, I'm wondering if you have any insight into that and, and sort of that divide. Yeah, I think, I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I definitely think that, um, you know, certainly in the public school system, uh, arts education is, is under-prioritized and, and so underfunded. You know, you know when, I, when I grew up, there was, there, was a, there was a chorus and there was a band in every public high school. Right. Um, there was sometimes a jazz band and there was sometimes a jazz chorus, you know, and that, I think, is a more and more rare thing. Um, uh, you know that that said, I, I, I the nice thing about today uh, that's different is that it is really much easier for uh, people who have artistic interest to uh, find a thing that they can do and to find a way to do it. And you know, I just watching my own kids <clears throat> interact with the world. Uh, you know, my my daughter has has a has an old iPhone that's. Uh, just has Wi-Fi. It's not hooked up to a, doesn't have an account or anything. But she, she has been using it to like, to shoot and edit music videos mm-hmm. um, for a long time, and it's kind of crazy. Like that, that she, she just has this little computer in her pocket that she can do that with. And I didn't teach her how to do it, you know. And she didn't, she didn't learn it from school. She just sort of um, found it and started experimenting with it, and is now making her own art with it. And that is that's really kind of a kind of a miracle and i and i think that um uh you know in some ways the having that push to stem is good because it you know technology in many ways can enable arts uh in sure. a way that makes it much more accessible to everybody and i, I think you're, you're seeing that now yeah the 
I mean, the world obviously needs as many, you know, great engineers and scientists as we can get. But, the, you know, I keep coming back to this thing that a friend of mine said to me once. And can you imagine a world where no one studied history? You know, and we, can, we tend to poo-poo. Sure. We tend to poo-poo or, you know, parents tend to you know, say, oh, you don't want to major in history. What are you going to do with that? You know, but it's a little frightening to think about what if nobody studied history? And I think we're starting to see that to a certain extent with this election, you know, and it's, it's, it's a little bit scary that, you know, I mean, taken to an extreme, this push towards STEM could result in some unforeseen circumstances. Well, in the case of, go ahead, sir. In the case of music in particular, it would also be helpful to recognize that these things are not necessarily mutually exclusive, that studying something like music and even art uh, has a lot of connections with math and science that might not seem as as linear as actually doing math, uh, but it, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think um, uh, I feel like there's always some degree of hand wringing about the direction that the kids are headed today in terms of what they're studying and what we're emphasizing, and it always seems to work out okay. I mean, we're you know we'll hold our breath until the end of this election, and then we can have this discussion again. But, um, <laughs> But I, I hold out hope that we are, uh, as a species, generally headed in the right direction. And so, um, you know, this this is a pendulum swinging in 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 uh, in one direction right now. It might swing in the other way in a, in a few years, and I, I think we'll I think we'll get by. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that a lot of your success and fame has come about because the internet is a, is existing as a thing. <laughs> so, what do you think you'd be doing today if there were no internet? Um, boy, I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is I was, I was a science, I was a science kid, you know, I was really, I was really interested in, in computers and sciencey stuff. And, um, you know, when I was, uh, worked at, when I worked at this software job before I became a musician and the music was just a hobby and I was full-time writing code. Um, and even while I was doing that, which was kind of a gratifying intellectual experience for me, I discovered, um, this, this bunch of, uh, 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 sort of, uh, kits and, and, and designs for building little robots, little solar powered robots out of like used, sure. uh, you know, taking a, taking a cell phone apart and taking the motor out and yeah. taking the, you know, used parts and, and simple circuits. And, and I became really obsessed with this, this little school of thought about building robots. And I was like, geez, I should be building robots. And for a while, for a couple of months, I was sort of on fire with the idea that I was going to, I should somehow change careers and become a robot builder. So probably that's what I, that's what I would be as a robot builder. <laughs> you'd, you'd become a, you'd become an evil genius. Yeah, evil genius. Your robot, but with an army of robots. With a robot army, yeah. Right. I, be, I believe that if the internet had not been invented and adopted, that we would have already descended into a Mad Max-like <laughs> anarchy. So I would be riding around in a converted uh, Dodge Charger that had, like, a flamethrower and a couple Twin of grenade engines, launchers. Yeah. yeah, my jaw would have been replaced by a titanium uh, spike. So you'd be, be horrible. That. Yeah, that's, that, that didn't mean witness me. Witness well, who, me, here I am. So who's got, who's got the... Me. Who's got the guitar that's shooting the uh, with the flamethrower? <laughs> oh, I gotta have that. I gotta yeah. have that too. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, that's storm all the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, you guys are also, I mean, you all have this very unique um, view of the music industry. I mean, you, you were joking, Jonathan, about you don't even know where your, your kids get their music from, from a technical perspective. But what's the future of the music industry? I mean, music and the internet have this really strange dynamic and they've always sort of been at odds with each other. And I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective and, and seeing the success that you've sort of had outside of that mainstream music industry, what is the future for for music and musicians and how we as a people are going to consume all of that? <laughs> that's a big, that's a big question. Big question. I think it's going to be exclusively uh, cruise ship based, I believe. In oh, the future. perfect. <laughs> that's so convenient. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a leg up. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. I, you know, it's funny. It's changed uh, so much even in the last uh, five years. I, I, I feel like it's, you know, the new state of the music business is like the new state of everything else, which is rapid, permanent, yeah. constant change. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's, um, uh, you know, I've had this discussion a lot with people, and there's something that I always come back to, which I find weirdly reassuring as much as it is terrifying, but you know, this idea that music is a thing that you could sell and profit from is only a very recent idea in human history. And then, in mm-hmm. fact, for m- most of our time on this planet, art was not a thing that you could do with commerce. And do, you didn't, the art was not for money. Um, and so I think it's entirely possible that what we are witnessing is <laughs> the end of this little blip of art as commerce. Maybe it's maybe it's going to completely because you know this is the this is the trend right is that people used to pay for uh, physical objects and now they uh, pay a third party to rent access to digital objects uh, and it's much less money uh, uh, you know people are not buying CDs as much as they used to certainly but they're not even buying MP3s as much as they used to uh, even a few years ago so yeah I have I really have no idea I mean it's it's uh, a <laughs> It's a very interesting time to be alive. I mean, I still, I still feel like, you know, you're, you're always going to have people who are making uh, music, and you're always going to have a way of getting that music to people. Um, and whether or not we're all getting rich and famous off of it, uh, I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, I think, I, think, uh, I, think that, I think that people need to still kind of hold on to their hats because we're not, we're not quite at the end of this. Yeah. This roller coaster yet. It also seems like it's harder, and this is you can be a musician or an artist or anything creative, that if you're able, you, you need to these days be interdisciplinary. Like if you are just making music, it's a lot harder because you are dependent on selling that music and or touring. But if you are also adept at, say, making videos and incorporating it with art or producing shows then you're going to have a lot of different ways to make it unless you're in that rarefied group that the gatekeepers who do still exist uh, have approved as the people that they're going to, to lift up to be on the largest stages. I think um, you guys have been, you guys have been an inspiration to a lot of people and a lot of people who, you know, think that, you know, Oh, I, I have to keep, I got to keep that nine to five job or I can't really pursue my dream because it's, it's not within the realm of possibility. And then they see somebody like the three of you and they think, well, maybe that is possible, you know? And I think, 
I think everybody probably has something inside of them that they're afraid to do creatively. And for whatever reason, they just haven't done it yet. They don't think they can. They don't, they think they're afraid they're going to fail. They don't think that they're going to get any support. What was, I mean, number one, what do you say to them? And number two, what was important for you at that time in your lives and your careers? Like what, what helped make it feel okay for you to be making those, to take, be taking those risks? I think for me, the answer to both those questions is kind of the same thing, which is that, um, you know, more and more of this is true. There's nothing stopping you from making the thing you want to make right now. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, the, it, it used to be that to, to make a, make a decent recording, you had to have a lot of money to go into a studio and, and, and that's just not true anymore. Um, and the same is true across many disciplines. And, and so, you know, if you are the person who's, who's, um, who's always wanted to write a novel, but you're stuck with this job, write your novel while you have the job, you know? Um, and it's not, it's not always obvious how um, one step is going to lead to the next step and how you're going to get to the place you want to be. But, um, you know, usually there's not too much stopping you from taking the next available step. And in doing that, you sort of open doors in an unexpected way and you make connections in an unexpected way and you kind of step-by-step do the next thing and, and, and hopefully it works out. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the advice I would give is just, is just start because for me, um, you know, I made music for a long time before, uh, too many people really cared about it or even heard it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, you need time to practice your craft. You need, uh, time to, figure out what it is that you're good at doing. And, 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 you know, hopefully in doing that stuff, you will uh, figure out how to connect with the people who like it. We all have sort of come from this place of, of being nerds and geeks when we were younger. And I'm sure we all, you know, felt, felt that we were on the fringes of society and, and, and had to fight our way to be accepted. Um, it feels like quote unquote geek culture has become more or less mainstream culture at this point. You know, I mean, you guys have taken over an entire cruise ship for seven days and you, you sell out and it's, it's, um, sell out the cruise ship, not that you've sold out creatively. <laughs> um, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm just wondering where we go from here, you know, now that, you know, everybody's grandmother knows who Thor is, you know, like what, what's the next horizon we need to target or is there one? Well, I think there's that being a nerd and a geek doesn't have to, anything to do about any specific thing, and that anymore you can generally find a community of people who are into the same thing. And I don't know, maybe you think about who are the people that everyone's laughing at and putting down. They might be people who are into sports, and suddenly they're the people who are the outcasts and feel like they need different venues to express themselves and feel good about themselves. So... I would say just, you know, not really be hung up on the particulars of the, what it is. It's almost the same as, as how, do you, how do you do your passion for a living? Uh, just pursue the things that you love. Yeah, I've maintained for a while that the, the term geek culture is almost meaningless in a way mm-hmm. because it's such a wide umbrella that it's not really about – it's a medium. It's not – uh, a, a genre, so to speak, in that it is really, it's about enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, and traditional geek enthusiasms have tended to be, let's say, indoor things, 
whether it's, you know, reading science fiction and fantasy or playing uh, uh, role-playing games and tabletop games and stuff like that. But it's a continuum, and there's not appreciably much of a difference in my mind between somebody who's really into D&D and somebody who's into fantasy football. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're stretching a lot of the same muscles, so to speak. And I feel like part of the reason that quote unquote geek culture is so ascendant in the last, let's say decade or so is I think society's moved to, to it, it's, it's cooler to embrace your enthusiasms and, and embrace a wider array of enthusiasms, I think, um, as much as anything else. Yeah, uh, I think I'm not sure exactly I, I, where I'm going with that, but <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's true because I, I feel like another another aspect of it, and you know, I think there are still horizons yet to be reached, and and part of that is, you know, one, one of the amazing things about going to something like Comic Con is you see all of these um, niches, people who are super fans of this one thing that you've maybe never heard of, hang around with a bunch of super fans of this other thing. And there's this incredible uh, cross-pollination and, and sort of sharing of enthusiasms across what used to be these really sort of closed, isolated communities of superfans. And, um, you know, I think we still have a, <laughs> have a ways to go in terms of, like, uh, accepting other people's fandom of things. <laughs> um, you know, you just look at what happens when they make a Lady Ghostbusters. Everybody yeah. freaks out. <laughs> and yeah. it's like... You can like Ghostbusters. You can like the original Ghostbusters. You can write like the new Ghostbusters. You don't have to like it. You don't have to watch it. But don't don't yuck my yum. You know, like don't tell me <laughs> that what yeah. I like is wrong. Uh, and that that is the thing that I think um, the geek community understands because they've they've come from that place of, of being in that isolated outcast group. Uh, and I think that that's you know. That kind of empathy uh, needs to needs to grow and spread as much as the culture itself has. Yeah, yeah just need some reminding now and then. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jonathan, Paul, Storm, thank you guys so much for your time. Thank it's you. been amazing. Um, I, I really want to get my butt on that cruise because it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you should get, come. Get your whole body. Just no. You yeah. just get. You're just getting my butt. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that for free while we're while we're at port. <laughs> yeah. Just put yeah, your butt on it and walk away. away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Well, that's it for the interview portion. Now we're gonna go in to the song. <laughs> Uh, I have a couple more, a couple more songs for you, and then uh, I'm going to pretend that the show is over and leave the stage, <laughs> and wait for you to applaud, uh, and then I'll come back up the stage. Um, this song is about becoming a parent. Um, I did for the first time now, well, uh, 11 years ago. Uh, it's a traumatic event. <laughs> Uh, it somehow comes as a surprise. Maybe you prepare for a long time. Uh, then when the baby arrives, it's somehow surprising that it's an actual baby. <laughs> that you need to keep from that point on. Uh, 
this is not a cat that you can just abandon. Everybody <laughs> uh, just gets cats and abandons them constantly. You can't really do that with babies. You shouldn't. Really, really dark, really quick. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's it's a it's a I, I feel like an important it's doing a disservice to everyone to not say this is gonna fuck you up when you become a parent. Because if you think if you think the baby's gonna come out all covered in goo and disgusting and red faced and you're gonna fall in love with it immediately, you're wrong. It doesn't happen. First thing that happens is they destroy your life. They tear you apart piece by piece. Everything that you used to be able to do, you can no longer do. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the truth, man. You gotta be ready. You gotta honor this. You gotta. This is my wife who taught me this. You gotta honor the sadness of this moment. This is, this is the end of your old life, the beginning of a new life. Your new life hasn't even started yet, and right now it's garbage. The thing is just pooping and crying all the time. It just eats and poops and cries. It can't even see you. It doesn't care about you. Now here's the thing. It all turns out wonderful, right? Because they, the first time they smile at you, is, is the, really that's the time when you're like, I just want to leave this thing alone. And then they smile at you, and you're like, "Oh my God!" And that's that's when it, that's when it starts. And then they start, you know, moving around and walking and talking, and they start telling jokes. Like they start telling jokes before they can even speak, which is really fun and exciting to watch. And they're wonderful. They turn into little people, um, and eventually the actual size people. Um, and it's it's really a fantastic, rewarding experience. But it's a rough ride to begin with. Uh, good luck to everybody. <laughs> this is called You Ruined Everything. Cliche. I'll be 
that's it for this week on the great big beautiful podcast what a fantastic interview and fantastic music jamie awesome that you got to go and do that and you know you get to listen to them and see them after we had interviewed them that's so cool let us know are you planning on going on the cruise do you want to go on the cruise you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash the gbb podcast twitter at the gbb podcast and maybe someday we'll have a great big beautiful podcast cruise I don't know. All right, guys, I'm Justin at 140 Justin C and Jamie is at the Roarbots. We will see you right here next week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.